Makers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Welcome to Talking Teenagers, Patrick Foster from Epic Risk Management. Patrick, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So you're here to talk about gaming and gambling, Patrick, and you talk about your recovery. Could you just tell us a little bit about what happened and what your story is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the work that I do now, all the talks that um, we give are based on my own lived experience, uh, my own battle with gambling addiction, uh, which spanned for about 13 years. Um, As it often does, it started as a bit of fun, um, developed into a a habit and that became a problem. And in the latter days, an addiction that that lasted between the ages of 19 and 32. Um, What started as a bit of fun, definitely, I I never saw it ending where it did. I didn't really understand um, or know what the consequences could be, which is part of the reason now and what motivates me to to share my story is is so that people understand what the dangers and consequences can be. Um, I started at at university, spent a little bit of time as a professional cricketer for Northamptonshire and actually dropping out the system whilst it wasn't the sole reason that I ended up with the problems that I did. It it certainly played a part. Um, I found not doing what I wanted to do, what I dreamed of doing, very difficult to come to terms with. I saw myself as a bit of failure. I started to replicate the Russian buzz that I got from playing with betting or, or gambling on it because it was it was kind of the next best thing or the closest thing to it. One thing led to another, graduated from university, ended up in the city, uh, mainly because I didn't really know what else to do and, and followed the crowd. A lot of my mates were going into jobs in finance and was reasonably successful as as an insurance broker, but all through it had this issue of gambling more and more, particularly as I started to earn more money. And what sort of gambling was it that you were doing? All sorts. I mean, as is as is often the case, for me, it started gambling on sport because that's where my biggest interest was. Um, that's what I was interested in. That's what I liked doing. Um, I used to play on the the gaming machines, the FOBTs or the fixed odds betting terminals as, as they're known. I used to play a lot on, on online roulette on those games. That's where it started really. Obviously, as it became more of a habit or a problem, it's one of the things that you look out for. I started to, to gamble on more and more different things, things that I wasn't necessarily interested in. It was whatever was, was available really. So gambling almost for gambling's sake. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's that whole accessibility to things. So when the horse racing had finished in an afternoon, which I would have had interest on in, sorry, or football wasn't on, I'd find something else to do because I needed to, to sort of get that, that fix, as it were. Am I right in thinking, I think I've heard you say something before that you, you, you got lucky or you got you went big very early and almost sort of unfortunately, really, in retrospect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a year after working in, in London, put a £500 accumulator on uh, one night Champions League and I won £34,977 that night. Sounds like the best thing that could ever happen to anybody, but without doubt it was the worst thing that ever happened to me because from that moment on it, it completely changed my relationship with gambling in the sense that now or from that moment on every time I placed a bet I thought I was going to win £35,000 in the short term didn't matter because if you lost a few, it's money that you've got and, and you think you're going to win it again. And similarly, when I won less money than that, it didn't give me the same Russian buzz that I got from winning 
100 pounds, 500 pounds. I lost it in, in two and a half months. Um, and my life started to go in a, in a very different direction. Once you've lost it, you've had it at one point, you want it back. And, and actually, one of the things that we talk to young people about, and, and indeed adults, when it comes to gambling, is that when you win is actually when often you're most vulnerable, which people don't appreciate because it gives you that feeling of invincibility. Yeah. Mm. Um, and as I say, it changes your, your relationship with it. And so that was certainly a turning point in, in my kind of gambling journey. I've often heard addicts talk, well, addicts of any kind, alcoholics or drugs or gambling, talk about the initial buzz is almost like a love affair, that it's just a really powerful emotional response. And it's almost like halcyon days. They can remember how great it felt. And of course, very quickly, it has, like you've just described, a very opposite effect. Was that similar for you? Yeah, most definitely. As I said, in the initial stages, it was it was fun. Did it with my mates, talked about it. Um, it gave me that Russian buzz, that sense of excitement. Um, sometimes that, that rush is similar, as you say, to professional sport, hitting a, an amazing cover drive or scoring a big score or... I mean, would it be similar? I mean, you wouldn't know, I'm sure, but would it be similar to a sort of a, a high from some form of narcotic or? I think so. I mean, sport is all about instant responses, instant mm. reactions, that kind of feeling that you get when you score a goal or you get 100. And actually gambling gives that to you. And it's almost on tap in the is sense that, is that, that... what is addictive about it? Absolutely. I, I think that's certainly what what hooks you in. Mm. Um, but what a lot of people don't appreciate is just like any addictive substance or behavior, actually it then starts to play a very different role in your life. And just because it's not a drug or alcohol that you put in your body, it, it still has an impact and, and, it still, and it starts to serve different sort of purposes in, in your life. And which, were you at the stage where you were gambling every day? Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, from the moment I started, really, I would I would do it every day. But what was affordable changed how much I did it, the amount I was doing it, the times of day I was doing it, it was sort of how it, it changed. But from the moment I started, I'd do it every day. But it went from once or twice a day to, I mean, placing 100, 150 bets a day, if not more, um, all day, every day, often staying up all night, playing on these games or betting on whatever I could find, whether it be Hungarian handball or American horse racing, whatever it was, really anything that I could, I could kind of do it on. I'm, I'm interested by the phrase you used, instant gratification, because it strikes me that young people growing up today have sort of a greater way into instant gratification than any generation before them. I think of, you know, social media we've talked about, we've talked about pornography in this um, set of talks. You know, that instant gratification is, is a really dangerous thing for young people, isn't it? And yet it's not their fault. They're sort of in this environment now where everything's on tap almost and, and really unhelpfully so. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of the addictive type behaviours um, are being normalised with people from a very young age. Um, I talk to a lot of young people at the moment about the world of online gaming, which makes me sound like a dinosaur. But when I was... 10, 11 years old, gaming was Sonic the Hedgehog jumping up and collecting a few stars or hoops or Mario Kart going around a track. And uh, now with these games, actually, a lot of them are normalizing these addictive type behaviors. They're designed to be addictive. They're designed to keep you playing. Within them, 
you get these hits, these instant responses, instant reactions. It's blurring the lines between gaming and gambling with things like loot boxes, skins, packs that now are just part and parcel of these games. But actually, when you break it down and, and look at them, they are essentially forms of, of gambling in, in, in what they do and, and the way they make you think. And, and actually, as you say, it's on tap. Um, it's everywhere. Uh, and it's accessible to people who, who are very, very young and, and aren't able to make a kind of informed decision or choice around it. It, it just normalizes it. It makes them think that that's just the way, way it is, which hasn't existed previously. I mean, loot boxes are a big thing, aren't they? I wonder if you could tell us some of the recent research about the links between gaming and gambling. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people are unaware of, of what a loot box is and, and there's no reason why you should do unless you play on these games. But essentially it's a, a pack of items or, or things that you buy. And in terms of its link to gambling, is it's, it's a bit like a raffle. You, you buy one of these packs, you open it up, you might get what you need or what you want in order to kind of further your development on the game. If you don't get what you want, instinctively, you're going to buy another one in the hope that you do. And so therefore, in terms of the evidence and links, it's essentially what gambling is. Um, and it's designed to be that way. Um, what terrifies me more than anything about the world of online gaming is the lack of regulation. Um, the gambling industry is becoming increasingly regulated and rightly so, but actually there's no barriers in place when it comes to gaming for a young person to spend an infinite amount of time or indeed money on one of these games. Nothing's there to prevent them doing so or stopping them. And, and that's dangerous. And I have read that um, Belgium have actually banned loot boxes, haven't they, from gaming, I think, for under 18-year-olds. Is that is that right? Yeah, that, certainly... that's right. Um, there's certainly other countries are certainly bringing in regulation or preventative uh, measures in order to try and control it or actually abolish it completely. Uh, it's a hot topic in the in the media and news at the moment, and I think that's right because actually... I don't think it's right that these young people are able to to do what they're doing. And, and whilst it's not going to happen to everybody, um, I'm not naive or stupid enough to think that that's the case. Actually, there are stories um, in the news almost on a daily basis of young people who are getting themselves in a mess at a very early age. And of course, as we all know, that doesn't just impact them. It impacts those around them, families, and of course, in, in what they're trying to do day to day. I think it's, I read it's a huge business. It's, I think, £30 billion was spent on loot boxes last year and about a third of 11 to 16-year-olds are, you know, actively using loot boxes. One of the tricky things seems to me is that actually they're, I mean, I think the French haven't banned it because they say you don't actually make any money. It's a sort of currency that actually doesn't transfer into real cash, does it? You just keep going round and round the system, which is in a sense a sort of vicious cycle for them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the... The things now in in terms of the education is actually you need to educate people on the fact that figures in the top right hand corner of a computer screen or credits as are often used in in the new age, as it were, it is real money. Um, One of the things I look back on in terms of my gambling journey is I never lost as much money uh, in a betting shop or a casino because I was using cash most of the time. And you could see how much money it was. But actually, when you're doing it online, you don't realize it is just a number. And 
it's very hard to keep control of what's going in, what's going out. It doesn't sort of doesn't carry the same value as as actually what it it should do and what it is. In the same way that people often write things on the internet that they never do in person and the like. Absolutely. So thinking about parents, Patrick, and you know parents of, of teenage or young people, and thinking that they're our our audience, our target audience. What would be your advice? on the journey of bringing up children and gambling and gaming? Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one. And actually, from a parent's perspective, is it's hard because their knowledge of it is probably less than the young people's, which is always difficult. And it's no fault of their own, really. But they're not aware of, of that world. I think the first thing I would say to parents is that acceptance is key. I think understanding that that's the way the world is now and that's what young people do enjoy doing accepting that they are going to do it and therefore not trying to prevent them doing it entirely because i think that often has an adverse reaction that can be even more detrimental or create even more problems so i think the first thing is acceptance i think the second thing is is clarity in terms of being very clear about what games they are playing on uh, what they are doing within those games, um, making sure that you know the type of things that they're doing on the games, the money that they're spending, what is available, um, so that, that you're able to have that conversation, know that, make them aware that you know what's going on. Um, and obviously, boundaries, all these things are, are about moderation. I would never, it's hard for some people to believe I'm not anti gambling. I recognize that there's lots of people who are in control of it, do it responsibly, if you like, for the right reasons. It's all about moderation and being in control of those things. It's amazing that some people can hold it and do it in moderation. Yet for you, that wasn't the case at all. And it's, what, 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 how would you explain that? I think there's lots of reasons why some people can't. And I think that's where there's a big role to play in terms of education, in terms of talking to people about what may cause somebody to lose control. There's certainly different things we've talked about actually when you win. Um, I think characteristics play a part, interests. There's lots of different reasons why somebody may lose control as I did. I think the biggest thing, more than anything else, and it's the same with a lot of these issues, and it's something that I couldn't do for such a long time, which is part of the reason why I do it now, is actually being open and talking about it because I never talked about my gambling. Part of that was because there was always a stigma attached to it. That it was a little bit of a dirty word. I was worried about what people's reaction would, did, would did be. Did anybody during the time when you were doing it, did anyone know? I think people people were aware that I was I was doing it and perhaps doing it more than I should have done. Nobody to the, the level or extent that I was doing it. And ultimately, the onus falls on the individual. What makes it so dangerous and potentially so devastating is that it is a hidden secret addiction. Uh, therefore, the only person that knows how much they're doing it, how much they're spending, how much time, and of course, the impact it's having on your, your cognition or your mental health is you. And therefore, you're the only person that can do anything about it. But I think it's so ingrained in culture and society now. So many people are doing it. So many young people are doing it. I think it's so important that people talk about it there shouldn't be a stigma attached and and actually i think that way when people do have problems or issues with it they won't be so afraid to 
to come forward as, as I was for so long. If somebody had come to you and said, look, Patrick, is this a problem? Would, how do you think in retrospect you would have replied? Do you think it, you would have been honest or do you think you would have sought to cover it up? Yeah, it's a really difficult question because it did happen. Um, and there were occasions where people questioned things that had happened because I dropped the ball as it were. I'd, I'd sort of um, done something that made people aware of something that I didn't want them to be aware Is of. Is that in your professional career? or I think both in terms of, of professional and personal life. As I say, my my issue was not recognising that I had a problem. It was being so ashamed and embarrassed about the things that I was doing and the situation that I was in, even from a, a very early stage, that I was reluctant to reach out for help. Um, a lot of people have said to me what would have made the difference. And there were times that people did try and talk to me about it and do everything that it can. But it was all in my head. It was all, well, this is what I think people's reaction is going to be and therefore I'm better off not doing it. And it so wasn't until when I hit... Was, when, oh, yeah, when was the moment that you thought, I do need help? I think one of, the, <clears throat> one of the mistakes people make when it comes to gambling is they always judge gambling financially. So it's never a problem if you've got enough money to do it. But actually people completely negate or neglect the impact that it's potentially having on time. Um, how much time you're doing it, and of course, your mental health, which was a mistake that I made. For me, the three worlds that I talk about in terms of my career, my professional life, my family, and my gambling, in the early stages were very easy to sort of compartmentalize and use to the advantage of one another, bounce off each other. But actually, that becomes increasingly more difficult. Uh, it obviously started to affect me, my professional life. Um, as a teacher, I wasn't able to teach um, as I should have been. But also then I started to make decisions that I would regret forever. The sad thing for me is where it took me was was rock bottom and, and stood on the end of a train platform about to do the unthinkable. And it wasn't until then that I actually did anything about it. And one of the really important messages that we need to instill in, in young people and indeed adults who are struggling with problems of this kind is that you don't have to let it get to that stage before you do something about it. And the sad thing is that if you don't, that is ultimately where end up. It, you will end up. Um, and, that, and that's why we do what we do now, I guess. Just trying to kind of think of it in family terms. You said just then I was struck by, you know, you're not anti-gambling. Um, when I ran a boarding house, I was saying to James earlier, I had a casino night and um, I, I am denied about that because of all the speculation and talk about it. But my feeling is always a bit like when you give them a beer to drink, I'd rather be helping you see this in a healthy way. And we weren't betting for anything. And it was, you know, there was no sort of winners or losers, particularly at the end of the day. So it's a bit false in that respect. But, you know, I did sort of say to them, imagine you had this sum of money and it's now gone. That's what gambling's mm. like. And these these companies make money. So you're always going to lose. But, you know, my, my children over the weekend were playing sweet poker, you know, sweet poker for sweets. And I kind of feel that's okay. I wonder what your view on that is, because at least you're sort of not making it dirty, and you, but at the same time you're saying, look, just do it responsibly. Yeah, I, I think my feelings is that's almost the most effective way of educating people is, is by teaching them how to do it in the right way, what the potential consequences can be if, if it isn't done in the, in the right way. One of my biggest issues was I didn't really know what people's perception 
was of it because I never received any education on it. Nobody ever talked about it. It wasn't something that was part of my family. And therefore, I, I did it underground, as it were, without talking about it. And I think that's one of the, the sure signs where often there is an issue is, is if people are transparent about it, very open, and then for whatever reason, they, they become less so. But I think that there's nothing wrong with, with doing it in the right way. These things are important. They are fun. And that's what it's designed to be. But actually, it's also recognizing that for the odd person like me, you can lose control. And what's most terrifying about it is when you do lose control, how quickly things escalate and the the kind of long term impacts. But I have no issue in young people doing it, talking about it, as long as they are doing those things. If you were to to talk to, you know, I'm aware that I'm fairly in the dark about gambling, but and haven't spoken to our children about gambling. I mean, what would be the things one should be talking about? I think that the first thing is is telling them that actually it's okay to do it. it it's not evil. It's not the devil. If they want to do it, they can do it. But actually what they need to do is ensure that they're always in control of it. Um, we talk a lot about money, time, cognition because they're the three things that gambling affects and actually if you're in control of all of those three things then it's not a problem but the second that you lose control of one of those things ultimately what will happen is you'll slowly lose control of the other two and that will happen and and it's recognizing those signs in yourself but i think what needs to happen it's as i've already alluded to it's so ingrained in culture and society it's makes up 20% of all adverts on TV now. It's on every football shirt that there is. It's pervasive, isn't it? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So therefore, everybody should talk about it. Racing cars with sort of John Player special on the side. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. Why are they allowed to do it? I think we'll see a change in advertising. I think everybody's aware that there are too many adverts. Um, They're actually quite annoying now if nothing else because there are just so many of them i think where it's changed is previously it was it was always advertised with things it was associated with and so people could therefore see its relevance but now of course and this is another reason why young people need to to be aware of it as an issue is of course now you watch i'm a celebrity it's sponsored by a gambling company you would you'd never really associate those two things but that association is is what makes it dangerous i strongly believe that young people shouldn't be exposed to the amount of advertising that they are and they are bringing in initiatives that will reduce that and 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 hopefully and make a difference but i also think now just like tobacco or smoking previously if you take away the adverts it's not going to get rid of the problem it's so ingrained in culture but i think There are also lots of hidden agendas that people perhaps forget about. Lots of people say to me, God, those adverts are annoying. Ray Winston on his Bet365 advert, (laughs) etc. Why don't they just get rid of them? But actually, of course, the government make an awful lot of money from tax. Um, All these things, there are are lots Mm. of reasons why they exist and aren't just abolished. I think quite a lot of the companies that own... Gambling companies are also in the gaming industry, aren't they? So there's a great interconnectivity between all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. And I think that's also where parents who hopefully this will, will help them understand a bit more about that world. I think they need to appreciate that is that you need to associate the two together. 
statistically people younger people who are heavily involved in in the gaming world will then often go or move into to gambling once they realize that going up a level in a computer game is not that important or not that exciting and and actually that's why they need to be aware of it at a young age one of the things that i hadn't quite appreciated with adverts was a boy um, told me once that he had gambled and that after he'd done it on his phone and after that moment the amount of adverts that he got on these pop-up adverts bombarding him after that it was almost like he'd sort of flicked a switch and suddenly it was fair game to send him any kind of gambling advert and that's incredibly dangerous isn't it um for for people yeah absolutely and i think there's so many more mediums in which there's a platform for that advertising now um social media which is talked about an awful lot which has its advantages but actually from um an advertising perspective that's exactly it if you search something if you go on one of these things then all these different platforms that these young people are on they will then get um, bombarded with with adverts and it it takes them to essentially remove them which often you're not going to do in order for them to stop and and so therefore their exposure to it comes in all sorts of different forms and guises which previously it it never has to to end up as a an addict, gambling addict, would you say that is more attributable to the to the nature of the product or is it as a result of the nature of the person? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question, very difficult to answer. I obviously went through rehab treatment program for addiction, um, not just gambling for addiction. And a lot is talked about in terms of what, what makes an addict. Are you born with it? Um, is it something that is developed at a very young age? Is it something that comes as a result of circumstance, trauma, whatever it might be? From my perspective, I try not to think too much about why I ended up being a gambling addict because ultimately I take full responsibility for what happened. I was mm. the one doing it, making those decisions. And I think that if I found something to blame, it would probably make me more likely to go back to it. That's a personal opinion and that's something that wouldn't be the same for everybody for me it was definitely a combination of factors it was definitely the type of person that i am i mean people brand the term an addictive personality i've certainly got one of those i think being a professional sportsman for a while made me very competitive i talk to parents a lot now about the link between young people and indeed adults who are competitive and gambling because being competitive, you don't like losing. Therefore, when I was gambling, I wouldn't stop until I won. And then when I won, I loved the feeling of winning and I wanted to replicate it. So I went through the whole process again. And so I think that definitely played a part. And that means that there's no coincidence that there are so many professional sportsmen and women who who have issues. I think the final thing to kind of say, which is a very interesting one from a parental point of view, is whilst I was in rehab, I don't mind talking about it now. I've I've had some fairly difficult conversations with my dad about it, but actually they focused a lot on my relationship with my father. And at first I I sort of thought, well, what on earth is this about? I have an incredible relationship with my dad. He's he's fantastic. I wouldn't change him for the world. But actually there is a biological link between gambling and competitive relationship with same gender parent which in my case is my dad. And I have 
as much as I love him to bits, I have always had a very competitive relationship with him. I've always kind of put him on a pedestal that I was trying to reach. It's that old fashioned sort of fight against the machine. You take or you get rid of that and you replace it with something else. And and often it is gambling. And for me, when I was told that, it made a, a lot of sense. And so I think parents, there's nothing wrong with having that relationship but I think parents need to be aware that once you take that out of the equation that it potentially will be replaced with with something else and in my case you put all those things together and you've got a kind of recipe for disaster I've heard you talk about it um, gambling at one point you described it as almost like self-harm could you just unpack that a little bit yeah I I think in the very latter stages of my addiction it served different purposes. For me, a lot of it was, was it being a kind of form of escapism. It was a way of running away from my problems, not de- dealing with them, giving me a distraction, something to focus on with not focusing on what I actually needed to. In, in the very latter, latter days, I got myself in a situation where, I mean, my situation was so drastic and so dire. I was so upset, embarrassed, ashamed, or however you want to describe it, I was so angry that actually there was part of me that thought kind of went into self-destruction mode in the last few months where, well, I've got myself in this situation, it's bad, I might as well keep doing it and make it really bad. And that's a sure sign that that things aren't right. And and that's now where I'm able to reflect and realise that actually I was suffering from all those mental health issues that I will talk about that are so difficult that you never you never want to to let it get to that stage and actually that for me was the kind of saddest point of it was was when I got to the stage where actually I'd given up caring um which for so long I really did is there a piece there it strikes me listening to you you speak so honestly it's wonderful I really admire it but how we get people to to deal with emotions of shame emotions of anger uh, we are very good at trying to get people to to not be angry or or you know to just sort of brush shame under the carpet a little bit as, as parents as educators is there something we can do do you think in that area where we can actually encourage young people to accept that they will have those feelings of shame and anger we all have them in life don't we and actually learn to deal with them in a more healthy way in a more open way yeah uh, i mean i think it's really important that we do um, and I think that the best way to do to do it is to talk about it, to normalize it. Um, I always saw anger as a kind of, it's almost like a, I use that term again, but almost like a dirty word. I'm not allowed to get angry. I'm not that kind of person. But actually anger is a very important and normal emotion. Um, We're quite frightened of it as parents, I think, sometimes. When our children are angry, we, we sort of... We, they either shouldn't be or we feel we've done something wrong. But yeah. actually to help them through that process of anger, I definitely feel that as a parent sometimes. I just want them to stop being angry or, you know, object to their anger. We try and quash it yes. very quickly, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing to to kind of be very aware of, and actually I hope this is where my story or my background is able to kind of connect with lots of the young people that I talk about, is I think. Issues of this kind, I think people often pigeonhole them um, with people from broken homes, dysfunctional family backgrounds, troubled circumstances. That's, and I'm case in point, that that's not true um, because I had everything 
you could possibly want. But I think also it's that whole young people who are high achieving, very successful, are often more vulnerable. And there's lots of people who who kind of prove that point. And I think I was was one of those in the sense that actually when things did start to go wrong, I wasn't able to deal with failure. I didn't know how to deal with failure because I'd never really had to experience it until I was 19 years old. And then when things started to go wrong, because I was high achieving, successful, kind of seen as your model pupil or your perfect child, it was then, well, I can't admit that I've done anything wrong or things have gone wrong because actually people will judge me differently to how they would judge somebody who was perhaps mischievous or a loose cannon or however you want to describe it. And I think people understanding that actually doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, these things can happen. And and whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you've achieved, that actually once you get yourself into that situation, doing something about it, reaching out for help is, is of course the best thing that you'll ever do. And, and people won't judge you in the same way that you perhaps think they will. It's a sign of, I think, strength and courage to be able to put your hand up and say, look, I've made a mistake or I've got a problem that I can't deal with myself, however big, however small. But actually, I always perceived it as weakness. And, and I think part of that was... was and how of, have you found the journey back, the journey back to being who you are now from being in a world of total addiction? Uh, I'm not going to pretend it's, it's been easy. Um, and I think that's an important message and lesson is that actually dealing with problems of this kind, it's not straightforward. There's mm. not a, an instant fix or cure, which I was always after being the kind of person that I was. It is a, a daily battle, but it's a very rewarding one. I vividly remember actually about 10 years ago, a boy saying to me, I wish somebody had told me, this is actually about pornography, I wish somebody had warned me and told me about the dangers of pornography. And I think you're doing a very similar thing, aren't you, in the world of gambling there, that you hopefully there won't be boys and girls out there who'll be saying, I wish somebody had warned me because you will have... Yeah, hopefully. And I think when I talk to people, one of the things I say is what motivates me to do this is actually I never want anybody else to go through what I've done and part of that is I had an incredible upbringing incredible parents an incredible education but through it all nobody ever talked to me about gambling and therefore why don't I be the one that does because you're hopefully filling a void uh, which needs to be filled Patrick Foster thank you very much indeed it's a pleasure thank you listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be your soul.